Amen. And now we are going to be in the reading of God's Word. We are in our series this summer called Songs for Life. We are reading another psalm, Psalm 27, and I invite you to stand as we read the Word of God together, if you are able. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You may be seated. Okay. Hi, everyone. Especially to our kids, to your parents, whatever. But to you, man, special welcome to you. If you don't know me, um, first of all, I don't volunteer at the kids' services because I want to live. But you might, see, you might see me there as I drop off my children, okay? So if you don't know me, my name's Vin. I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'll get to preach and teach. So special welcome to you. Um, look, today's very special because you're here. So I've, uh, I've like done my hardest and my absolute human best to make this service very, very kid-friendly. There's going to be like animated stuff on screen. I've got props here. I don't even use props, but for you, I'm going to use props. Okay, so and, and the the ministry team, like the, all the tech team, like the guys who do the stuff on the computer, they had to work extra hard to make you guys be a part of this service. So we, I hope you get to have the chance to thank them because they put in a lot of work. Okay, okay. Another special treat here today is this. Yes, I'm happy that you're here, but the special treat is this. I'm going to do this entire sermon, this entire message, from start to finish, in the same accent as the cartoon character, Bluey. 
If you don't know Bluey, Bluey's a cartoon character from Australia, I'm going to do the same accent. And I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to just, whatever comes out of my mouth, that's what's going to happen. Okay? I don't know why I get a clap for that, but sure. <laughs> um, look, today I want to share with you, kids, I want to share with you, with mums and dads as well, I want to share with you how you and I, mums and dads included, how we can be brave because Jesus is faithful. Okay, so that means Jesus remains the same. Jesus does not change. And because of that, we can be brave. And that is why this message, this sermon, I've titled it, His Faithfulness is Our Courage. Okay, His Faithfulness is Our Courage. I want to start off with clarifying something about Australia. Because people, every time people find out I was born and raised in Australia, people will say, oh, Pastor Vin, I've always wanted to go to Australia. But they're terrified. They're completely scared of going to Australia. You want to know why? Let me tell you this. There's a question I have. Why are people terrified when it comes to going to Australia? I want to answer this question by asking you a rhetorical question, and that is this. Did you know, kids, that out of the 10 deadliest animals in the world, seven live in Australia? Seven. But Australians, Aussies, they're not even slightly concerned. They're not scared. You want to know why they're not scared? Because they all know, Australians all know, that first of all, because the main ones are snakes and spiders, but they all know you can outrun a snake. Snake doesn't have legs. Or if you see a spider, all you do is take off your shoe and throw at it. Throw your shoe at the spider. That's it. But here's, here's the catch. But when it comes to Canadian wildlife, it's a different story, people. You think Australia's a death sentence? We're not safe here. <laughs> think about it. If you're hiking with your parents and you're confronted by a coyote, a lynx, a wolf, do you think you're going to outrun it? No, or on the same hike. Imagine you go on the same hike with your parents because somehow they love you. They decided the most loving thing for them to do is take you on a hike. I'd question that, but anyway. But as you go on this hike, you know what you bump into? You're confronted by a black bear or a grizzly bear. I wonder what would happen if you took off your shoe and threw your shoe <laughs> at the grizzly bear. Because the only advice that we can give you if you were confronted by a bear is to play dead. But that's not the best solution in that moment, but that's just me. So kids, look, just to comfort you, this situation, this, this thing that I just came up with, look, it's most likely not going to happen. But even if it did, I know that you and I would feel safe. I know my children would feel safe, but also be safe because our parents are there to help and protect us. Even if something crazy like that did happen, mum and dad would jump in the way and protect you. That's what this Psalm 27 is about. And when I was a new Christian, I just remember now, as a new Christian, this was my favorite Psalm. So I have three points to make from this Psalm, okay? So here's the three points. The first point is, 
hold fast to the past. Number two is God's presence is our protection. And then third is confidence and courage take time, okay? Hold fast to the past. God's presence is our protection. Confidence and courage take time. Okay, so let's go to the first point, okay? Hold fast to the past. There are three ideas that the psalmist, most likely King David, he writes, but there are three ideas in verse 1, just in verse 1, that we need to draw our attention to, okay? So keep your Bibles open. The first is this. The first idea that comes up in verse 1 is that the Lord is this. The Lord is my light, okay? You're going to see it right there on the screen. My light. So I'll be using um, this visual prop to help us to help us, like, to visually help you and I to understand what the psalmist is trying to say. The idea that the psalmist, King David, is trying to give us is this, is that Jesus, or God, is a light, okay? He's like a flashlight, like when you're walking in the dark. Okay, so example, kids. Um, have you gone camping, like, like as in real camping, not like a hotel, the camping that I like to do? <laughs> because that's more civilized, but camping when you have to go out and, you know what I mean, and you have to put up your own tent. You have to pay. Do you understand? You have to pay to put up your own tent. Anyway, so you put up the tent, and then you have to pay to build a fire, and then you have to pay to cook your own food. I don't know. I'm just complaining now. But you're out there. You're camping. You're tenting now. And it's late at night. The fire is starting to die. You go in the tent to start to sleep. It's in the middle of the night. And you really need to go. You are busting at the seams. You're holding for dear life. You don't wake anybody up, but you're a little bit scared because outside, you don't know what's out there. You, you're hearing things and whatever it is, your imagination is going wild about what's out there outside the tent. So what do you do? You grab a flashlight and you walk outside. And as you walk outside, you realize, first of all, there's no lights in this campsite. The only light that you have is the flashlight. But the light from the flashlight lights your way to where you need to go. See, the great thing about light is this. First of all, it exposes the darkness. And the second thing is, is that the darkness can never hide the light. It can never hide your flashlight. This is what King David, the psalmist, is saying. He's saying Jesus is that light for us in a really, really dark world. The reason why it's dark is this, kids. In the world that we live in today, the world will encourage you to do whatever you want. The world will encourage you to think whatever you want. And the world will encourage you to feel whatever you want. But that's like walking in the dark because you have to figure it out on your own. But Jesus gives light to those who follow and love him. And he shows us what, what living is really like, that it's better with him. The second idea, so the first idea was light, remember that? The second idea was right here in same in verse 1, because I said there were three ideas, is my salvation. So the Lord is my light, but is also my salvation, our salvation. I have two beautiful daughters who are here. 
their names are Grace and Aubrey, and they love swimming, okay? They love swinging, swimming. Um, they're still learning how to swim. Uh, they're getting much better, but when they first started, we had to go out and buy um, a, life, a life jacket. So I'm going to put this on as part of the props, and I'm going to do this for you, okay? I'm only doing this for you. Um, wow, this is... Either I'm fatter, or this, this, this is just wrong. <laughs> so I'm wearing this right now. Now, why do my kids have to wear this? I don't need to wear this, but why do my kids have to wear this? They have to wear this because a life jacket not only helps them, right, but it also saves them from drowning. That's what it does. That's what Jesus is in regards to salvation. Now, let's take that analogy a bit further. The reason why we have to take it further, because I think there's some thoughts that I, have to, I had to process, but look, there will be times in your life, but also my life, where I want to take off the life jacket. You know why? Because I think I can keep swimming without it, and I'll be fine. But in keeping in step with the Bible, you and me, including your parents, you have to picture it like this. We are all children in a gigantic ocean, and you see nothing, no land, no boat, no nothing. And there's nothing in sight to rescue you and, I, you and I. And so Jesus becomes that life preserver for us in a gigantic ocean of nothing. So that the question, kids, is, what does Jesus rescue us from? The Bible tells us it's from sin. He doesn't rescue you just to swim in an ocean and just have a good time. He's rescuing, he's rescuing you from something and to something. He's rescuing you from sin and to himself. And what is sin? That is the words, the thoughts, and the actions that go against God. Okay? Everything. So Pastor Jono, he was singing here. He's the kids pastor here at Willingdon Church. Him and I want to promote a book to all the families, okay? All the families here. It's a book that Laura and I read at home to our kids, plus the Bible. So what you're going to see on the, uh, what you're going to see, the book is called Theology. When you put the two words together, it spells, says the word, theology. The idea of the book is to take big, hard, difficult concepts and simplify them for your kids to understand and read. But Pastor John is going to take a section of the book, Theology, and he's going to put the words together, you right, and then you're going to get the word, and it's going to be on the screen, he's going to do a video. But basically, the video will be on how God makes a way to cover our sin, to rescue us from our sin. So look at the screen. God gave a way to cover sin. While Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving God's law from God himself, the Israelites, camped at the foot of the mountain, they were already breaking God's law by worshiping an idol. Rather than destroying his people then and there, God provided a way for the people to get rid of their sin. God gave his plan the name atonement, which means to cover over. God's plan involved killing an animal instead of the person who sinned. Now, killing animals might seem like a harsh way to handle sin, but God wanted to send an important message. Everyone who sins owes God a life. Remember God's hard and fast rule that sin 
brings death. Well, someone has to pay for sin. Either we pay with our life or someone else takes our place. There is no other way. So that was from a short excerpt from the book, The Ology. But we, who confess to, be, to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can praise God that God made the ultimate sacrifice by sending his son, and that's what we call salvation. And so David knew that, that God was his salvation. Now, the third idea comes still back in verse 1, and the idea is this, is that the Lord, once again, is the stronghold of my life, okay? Stronghold of my life. It says it right there. So that's the third idea just in verse 1. Okay, the term stronghold, it does have a military sort of connotation to it, but the idea behind the word is ultimately this, is that God is like a, a tent, like a, like, like a covering for you. Or better yet, think of it more like it's a person that's going to comfort and support and cover you especially more so when life seems to be too much, okay? So I want to show you something once again that belongs to my daughters. And the third thing is this. This is what they call a Tsum Tsum. Uh, so this is Winnie the Pooh Tsum Tsum. We bought it for them when they were born. Um, and so they call this, so this is Winnie the Pooh, my other daughter has a piglet one, um, they call it Boo Boo, that's their names, okay, Boo Boo. So when Grace and Aubrey are having a very bad day, or when I've maybe disciplined them or something, when they've had a really tough day, they, get, they find their Boo Boos and their Boo Boos give them comfort. All they do is maybe lay there on their bed crying, but they're hugging Boo Boo, and they don't feel so bad. But what's interesting is this. Your parents and I know this. Bad and sad things can still happen even while they're hugging boo-boo. But yet in the midst of when things are still going bad and they're still sad while hugging boo-boo, there's still comfort and safety. And they get that as they're hugging boo-boo just at the right time when needed. So how, my question now is, in this Bible passage, how does the psalmist know, how does potentially King David know that God will be his, the three ideas, that God will be his light, his salvation, and his stronghold of his life? How does he know this in his present circumstance when things are really bad right now? That's why Paul, that's what, I mean, King David is writing. It's, it's tough for him right now. How does he know the answer actually comes in the very, very first word in verse 2. And the very first word is the word that you wouldn't think to look at, but the word when. When evildoers are sell me and eat my flesh. So when things, bad things are happening, the reason why the word when is past tense. The psalmist knew from past experiences that when bad people were trying to do bad things to him, God always came into the scene to help, to rescue, to save, to be a tent, to be a covering. Always. I don't know if anyone here is like my wife, but my wife is terrified of spiders. Okay? Laura is terrified of spiders. She cannot stand them. She always calls me when she sees one. 
I'll bravely, you know, grab a Kleenex, pick up the, the spider and do the most humane thing and crush it in my hand and throw it in the toilet and flush it. Growing up, being born and raised in Australia, that was the normal thing to do. You either, you, you either, first you throw a shoe at it and crush it, then you pick it up and you throw it and you flush it. That's normal. I grew up with that. So it doesn't faze me. Laura knows this about my sort of upbringing. That's why she calls me. Since she knows I've done this all before, she keeps calling me to do it all over again. This is the reason why she always calls me when a, supposedly when a spider attacks her as the spider walks the other way. But just like the psalmist, that in his present circumstance, his current circumstance, he uses the past for what reason? The answer comes in the last word in Psalm 27 verse 3. The last word. And the last word is confident. Because yet I will be confident. So when things are going really bad and things are really sad, he says, basically what he's saying is this, he will still have confidence. Why? Because the psalmist knows that because of his present circumstance, he uses the past of what he's experienced as confidence for his future. Do you see that? His present circumstance is bad, but he uses the past of what's happened before to give him confidence for his future. This now leads me to my second point, which is God's presence is our protection, okay? God being with us is, is our protection. So this psalm informs us that King David is. We know this in verse 3. If you look at the beginning of verse 3, that David is surrounded. Okay, He's surrounded by his enemies. That's why he uses the words in camp. He's surrounded. So what does he do? He only asks for one thing. He tells us this. He says in verse 4, there's only one thing I ask of the Lord. One thing. Interesting. If, if you were surrounded by all the people that wanted to hurt you, you know what one thing I would ask for? I would ask for either more help, a bigger army, to get rid of the bad people, right? To not make you feel so bad and so sad. Maybe that's what you would ask because I know that's what I would ask. But what does King David ask? What does he seek? The thing that he seeks after is that he may dwell in the house of the Lord. He doesn't ask for rescue, he doesn't ask for a big army. He doesn't ask for you know, more courage to go fight people. He doesn't ask for better weapons. He just says, God, there's only one thing I ask, and that I may dwell in your house. So let us look at the screen as Pastor Jono uses the book Theology to give us the idea of the house of the Lord and what this, this means and why that should give us confidence and courage and all these things. So look at the video. the special place where God lives with his people. Stadiums for sporting events can hold a lot of people, but imagine what it will be like when all the millions and millions of Christians from all time are gathered together in the new Jerusalem around the throne to worship. The city called New Jerusalem, pictured in the book of Revelation, is described as being very, very, very large, immense, 
John tells us in his book that the city is 12,000 stadia on each side. That is more than a thousand miles long. In fact, it would cover most of the United States and it would be taller than 250 mountains stacked on top of one another. But the measurements mean more than just that the city will be enormous. The large size of the city is a picture of how big God's plan and purpose is for his people and the new heavens and earth. The city is also described as a cube. All the sides are equally long. In Solomon's temple in the Old Testament, the most holy place, the place that represented God's presence, well, that was also a cube. But in the new Jerusalem, that cube will be many, many, many times larger because God will not only be in the most holy place of the temple, he will fill the whole immense space. The whole city will be the special place where God will live with his people. In the center court of the enormous new Jerusalem, people from every nation, every tribe and language will gather. There will be so many people that no one will be able to count them all. Together they will worship God saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. In addition to the millions of believers, thousands and thousands of angels will join in the celebration. They will shout blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So kids, God wants to dwell with you, with your parents, with all your families. But the problem is, is that we are all, including me, even as a pastor, we're sinful. I'm sinful. So God sends his son to cleanse the people from their sin in order to make them holy. So a holy God in his temple with a holy people. You see, God knows, I mean, sorry, King David knows that if he is in the house of the Lord, no one could ever harm him. That's the safest place for him. And that's exactly what he wants. So my question then to King David, and in this psalm, is this. So King David, what would you do then? If your one ask is to be in the house of the Lord, to dwell there forever, what would you do there forever? And King David actually answers this question in two ways. He's got two things he, he encourages us to understand. And the first thing is that uh, King David would... It says, would gaze, so we get that, uh, where was it? So we get to gaze here. We get to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And, the, and then later on, I'll tell you the second one. But to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is the first thing he would do in heaven. He would just gaze. So kids, think about it this way. Have your parents ever taken you to a beach? Okay? When my kids go out to the beach, we give them a bucket and the kids are always looking. My kids are always looking for the biggest and shiniest seashell, right? Or a scallop shell, whatever it is, especially a scallop shell because there's a shiny thing inside. So when my kids find the biggest and shiniest seashell, you know what they do? They bring it back. Even though they've collected about 2,000 shells that now I need to store somewhere in my house, what they get is they get the biggest one, they show me the biggest one, the shiniest one. They say, Mommy, Daddy, look at this one. Look how shiny and big it is. And they say, Wow, look at it. And all they do is stare. You see, what King David is thinking and believing is exactly that. He knows that when he sees God, he's going to see, like, just like when we see a seashell, he's going to say, Wow. 
And he's going to keep gazing at God. Because when you look at something, or more importantly, someone that is beautiful, the truth is nothing else matters. There's no other distractions that matter. Because God is the one and only person, ultimately in heaven, that you want to look at. The second thing that uh, King David says in the same verse is, the second thing he says, he would inquire the word there. We don't use that word often, okay? But the term means more than just asking questions. It's more, um, more explained in seeking and meditating, to think more. Okay, so the one thing that gazing and inquiring have in common is this. Gazing and inquiring, they have something in common, and that is this, that you have to do it more than once. You have to gaze more than once. And you have to inquire more than once. But it's important what you're gazing at and who you are inquiring of. As the psalmist knows, hey, let's do it of God. Then in Psalm 27 verse 5, King David continues his song on why being in God's presence is his protection. King David then, if you look at that verse, I'm not going to highlight there, but there in, um, in verse 5, he uses words like hide, shelter, conceal, tent. This idea of continued covering of God. King David knows that where the Lord is, that's where he will be sort of most safe. I know that when I was a kid, when I was allowed, I really enjoyed sleepovers. I hope you enjoy sleepovers as well. But the truth is, even though sleepovers are fun, why? Because you get to have all the sugar you want and stay up as late as you want and you don't get in trouble until you get home. Maybe. But you know what? But the truth is, even as fun as it is to have a sleepover, when you're in your bed with your pillow under your blanket, there's actually nothing like it. That's probably one of the, one of the safest places you'll ever be. But the truth is, it's more than just about your bed, your pillow, and your blanket. Because the truth is, even if you had those things, you won't sleep well because of those things if you are completely alone. If you're alone, then your blanket, your bed, your pillow, doesn't, it doesn't have the same power that it has. The truth is, kids, my first, my, this is my question to you in regards to that analogy. Do you know what your parents get up to when they finally put you to sleep? They party like there's no children. <laughs> but seriously, you sleep well. Mum and dad might be doing other things, like uh, you know, preparing stuff for school and whatever. But you sleep well knowing that your, your parents or your protectors are just outside that door. That's what helps you to sleep well. So mums, dads, kids, uncles, aunties, grandparents, we rest well because God is our protector and defender. That's what gives us comfort. In Psalm 27 verse 6, it actually comes to a very sort of a, a, a practical sort of outflow, okay, outworking. Since King David knows that God will defend and protect him, one of the outcomes of this is this. He says, okay, if I am to be in your dwelling place, there's a couple of things that will happen. He says it there um, in verse 6. In verse 6 tells us that now, he says, not there now, my head 
shall be lifted up. And then he concludes by saying, then I will sort of sing or shout of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So there's two practical outcomes. Your head will be lifted up and you will sing and make melody. Kids, this is just for you. Um, If you're being bullied at school or online, I want you to know you shouldn't, you shouldn't suffer that alone. Bullying is wrong, okay? I want to encourage you, as one of the pastors here, hey, tell someone. Tell someone that loves you, a mom and dad or whomever that loves you. But if you feel like you want to tell your parents but you're still scared or you lack the courage to tell mom and dad, then my advice to you is this. Tell someone that you do trust, like a best friend. But then get that best friend and bring that best friend to tell your parents. For support, bring that friend as support to tell your parents, and then together you can work this out together. But in Psalm 27, verse 6, if you look at verse 6 very carefully, knowing that the enemies are all there, and, and, and David's having a bad and sad, terrible day because all his enemies are around him. Psalm 27 verse 6 does not promise revenge. It doesn't even promise for you to get even with the people who hurt you or your bullies. The only promise that comes later on in the Bible is that those promises will come way later on. But what does he promise? He promises that your head will be lifted up high. Basically what King David is saying, he knows that God will give him back his honor, will sort of give him back his worth. Because being bullied by your enemies, you know what it makes you do? It makes you feel ashamed and weak. It makes your head go down, not up. And he's saying God will lift it back up. And when God does help you, okay, when, do, when God does help, God does not want you to be like other kids, especially other kids who don't know Jesus. Because kids that don't know Jesus, what usually happens when they're protected from their enemies, you know what they do? They stick out their tongues and they go, you can't get me. That's what they say. But God, what God really wants you to do, instead of sticking out your tongue and telling your people who are trying to hurt you, you can't get me, God wants you right there in verse 6. As he's lifting up your head, he wants you to sing and make melody to him. He wants you to praise him, thank him, gaze at him, inquire of him for what he has done for you. So kids, even if the people you love the most cannot be there for you, and according to Psalm 27 verse 10, that's a possibility. Verse 10 reminds us that God has made a way for us to be a part of his family. He will be your mother and father to protect you and to defend you. So Pastor John will illustrate for this for us in the book, The Ology, in regards to joining God's family by adoption. So take a look at the screen. Adopted. Imagine what it might be like for an orphan with no mother or father or brothers or sisters to be adopted into a large family. Think of the day when her new dad sweeps her up into her arms and gives her a big hug that says, 
I'm never going to leave you or let you go, and I'm never going to let anyone take you away from me. The next day, the new daughter is introduced to the rest of her new family, and there are three other children adopted just like her, ready to welcome her with smiles and hugs and laughter. What a difference it makes to be a part of a family. The moment a person believes in Jesus, God adopts them into his big family. That is why Christians are called God's children. It's also why we call God our father when we pray, and why we call other Christians our brothers and sisters. So God makes a way for you kids to be adopted into his family because of Jesus. But now this leads me to my uh, last point, and that is confidence and courage take time. So, so King David, at the beginning of verse 13, okay, right at the beginning of verse 13, he uses the word right here, believe, right there, which is another way of saying sort of confidence. He has the confidence and courage. He's confident in the goodness of the Lord, okay? So my question then is, he believes that as he looks upon the Lord, he's going to have this confidence, this courage. My question then is to David is, when? When can we have the same confidence as David? He tells us right there, right at the end of verse 13, he says, in the land of the living. Not the land of the dead. In the land of the living, which means what? Which means now. Today. You can have courage because of what, because of what God is already doing. If this is a promise from God that we can, you know, that when we can remain strong and take courage in Him, when things are not going our way, we can receive this now. But the question then is, at the same time is, but what do we do in the meantime if we don't feel that courage? If you don't feel that courage in front of your bullies, what are you supposed to do now? And you want it so bad to be courageous in the midst of this dark world. What do we do in the meantime? He tells us one thing two times. Okay, one thing two times. And what are the two things? He says it right here. He says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Do you see that there? Twice. He tells us twice as he concludes. Kids, time might bother us because we're impatient. But time does not bother God. And in our present circumstances, we have to look at God's past faithfulness, which will give us confidence for our future. See, this is illustrated in Romans chapter 5, where we are reminded that while we were God's enemies, he died for us. And it says, at the right time, perfect timing, did he rescue us. So Pastor Jono, with the final illustration, we use the book Theology to illustrate how God is the perfect sacrifice at the right time for you and I. So take a look at the screen. Jesus is the sacrifice we need. Now, can't the death of an animal really pay for someone's sin? Animals aren't like us at all. Plus, 
How many animals would you have to sacrifice to atone for your sins? Every time you lied to your mom or hit your brother or sister, an animal would have to die. But we don't need to sacrifice animals for each of our sins anymore. God fulfilled his promise and sent his son, Jesus, to obey the law completely and die as the perfect, spotless lamb of God. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is very different from an animal sacrifice. The animal sacrifices covered sin, but it did not take it away. It was kind of like cleaning your room by shoving everything under the bed. The bed covers the mess, but the mess is still there. That's why animals had to be sacrificed again and again and again. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that was good once and for all. His death restores order to the messy room that is our, our sin-stained heart. So kids, moms and dads, Christ's sacrifice is enough for our past, our present, and future once and for all. So kids, we come to the end. You made it. You survived. I think. I want to conclude with a story. Okay? So listen, kids, listen to me. If you don't remember anything about my message today, that's okay. But I want you to remember this story. That's it. Remember this story, please. When you were a kid with your parents, and every kid and every parent most likely played this game, I assume. I, I'm hoping and I pray. It's not really a game, but it's something that you do as, as parents and kids. And the game goes like this. You as a child stand on the edge of something. You stand on the edge of a table, a chair, a fence, whatever it is, a big rock. You stand at the edge or the, uh, the ledge of something and you tell your parent to stand on the opposite side of you. Do you understand where I'm going? So you as a parent are standing on the opposite side, but you as a kid, you're on that ledge, you're on that chair. And as you tell your parents to stand right opposite you, to stand in front of you, you're, gonna tell, you're telling your parent, I'm going to jump to you. But you as a kid, you're terrified. You can't jump. You don't think you can jump that far. Because it looks so far. But your parents slowly and lovingly encourages you, jump. Trust me. I'll catch you. And no matter what they say, no matter what they say, in that moment, you still have doubts. Because you're thinking about your own ability and you think, can I actually jump that far? But then there's that one moment where you take all the courage that you can muster up inside you and you jump. Do you know what happens when you jump? Mom and dad catches you. And do you know what happens right after that? You kids are like, let's do it again for the thousandth time. <laughs> but when your parent catches you, you know what happens? Mum and dad and you, you celebrate, right? That's why you want to do it again. You get back on the ledge and you tell your parents when you get back on the ledge, or you get back on the rock, on that fence, that table, that chair, whatever it is, you know what you tell them? You tell them to stand opposite you, and then you tell them, go further. Go further back. That's too close. Go more. Kids, 
your jumping skills are exactly the same. You haven't gotten better, but you know what's changed? Your trust in the person that's going to catch you, that's changed. And that's what it's like with Jesus. He'll catch you. You've got small courage, you've got big courage, it doesn't matter. He's faithful to catch you. So mums, dads, kids, take courage that Jesus is faithful to catch you and I. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you, we praise you that you catch us each and every time. We don't have to know all the mechanics about it, but Jesus, you are faithful. We know this because of what you've done in the past. We know this because of what you're doing in the present, and we know how that will change our future. So Jesus, help us to not have faith in our own ability, but help us to have faith in what you can do and what you have done. Help us to put our faith and our courage in that. So Jesus, I ask and I plead on behalf of parents all across our church family, would you save our children? Would you help them to put their trust in you? And not in mom and dad, not in themselves, but ultimately in you, that they would call you Lord and Savior. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So church, what's going to happen is we're moving to a time of communion at this moment. Um, And so if you're a visitor here and you call uh, Jesus your Lord and Savior, as people here who who, who call Lord, Jesus Lord and Savior, you can partake with us in communion. But if you're here and you don't know what this is all about and Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, we would ask that you'd pass the, the, the trays, the elements to the person next to you. Kids, if you don't know what's going on, talk to your parents about it. It's one of the most beautiful things we do as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Talk to them about it. You know, on the way home, in the middle of service, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want. But ask them. So as I go off the stage and as we start to prepare and think, would you take this time with your children to prepare and reflect on what Jesus has done by the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood? Let's do that now.